This week, Google's adding some fuchsia to its home. Valve is bringing Linux to your palm. And a lion roars at Amazon HQ. It's Sunday, May 30th, 2021. And this is episode 595 of F5 Live Refreshing Technology, a proud part of the Tech Podcast Network. If it's tech, it's here. you are and however you're accessing our show whether it be on social media facebook twitter instagram or snapchat through a podcatcher like apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, amazon music spotify TuneIn, or a myriad of other options uh, through our live stream platforms livestream.com twitch twitter youtube or facebook or on our website pluckitslive.com thank you for making us a part of your day there are two ways that you can do that the first is uh, Sunday night at 9 p.m. Eastern. You can go to f5live.tv slash join us. And there you can chat with us in the studio. Give us your feedback on the topics as we talk about them. If you're not able to join us live, that is okay. You can also go to pluckitslive.com slash subscribe. And there you'll see all of our shows, including F5 Live, The Pilch Point, Pluckets Live Presents, First Looks, and a whole lot more. And of course, you can find all the ways to watch, listen, and follow along. Now, before we get started, I want to uh, say it's good, it's good to be back. Uh, last week, we were off because we were doing a special First Looks uh, production with the first LEGO League Florida State Championship. Uh, it is the first time that we have ever produced content, with, content within a virtual environment. Uh, the platform was called Verbella, and it was an absolute blast. I have long been skeptical <laughs> of virtual environments. Uh, augmented reality has always been my go-to, but this Verbella platform was a ton of fun. Um, and we will be publishing interviews from uh, last weekend coming up, in addition to two long-form interviews with Dean Kamen, the founder of Segway, uh, he was intimately involved in creating the Coca-Cola Freestyle machine, and he's currently getting ready to start a national tour with his iBot uh, uh, wheelchair-ish device that uh, that he's working with the VA on. Super cool. Uh, lots of new content coming. But anyway, wanted to get that out of the way. It's good to be back, and we've got a a couple of normal weeks ahead of us, Abram. Yay. Hey, um, <laughs> by the way, uh, right now, as we speak, the, uh, the uh, Computex show is sort of starting. The Computex show that I'm, is that normally is in Taiwan, mm -hmm. that I would normally be at at this time of year. Although last year, because of the pandemic, I wasn't. And this year, because of the pandemic, I'm not. But, I really, really hope that next year I will get to go again because I love to go to Taiwan for the show. But uh, so there's going to be some things happening this week in terms of, you know, a trade show. Now, uh, given the fact that there's no in-person show, they, the number of vendors participating and the excitingness, excitingness, the... Uh, the level of I'm new good. product announcements. I'm good with is, excitingness. 
the excitingness is level is lower than normal. Um, not just because, not just my excitingness level about it, <laughs> because I don't get to go to Taiwan and go visit, do all the cool things that we do in Taiwan, uh, like going to the computer mall and also visiting the the you know like the offices of some of these companies. Yeah. So we actually get some office tours from places like Acer and MSI, but. Um, you know, still, uh, I think also because of all the shortages in tech and, and the fact that some things already came out a couple of weeks ago in terms of Intel's new, uh, you know, Rocket Lake chips and their Tiger Lake uh, HCPUs for for mobile, we don't anticipate like as many exciting announcements as we would normally see during a Computex anyway. But nevertheless. As far as back to normal, I mean, there is yeah. some degree of of tech news going on uh, going on this week. In fact, I think even in an hour or so, the the Intel keynote will be on, because keep in mind that they're doing this sort of in line with Taiwan time. Right. So that would be so. That's really you know, 10 p.m. Eastern is 10 a.m. Uh, 10 a.m. Taiwan. Taiwan time, although it's not clear to me whether people, whether folks from Intel or any of the other keynote uh, speakers are actually going to go to Taiwan to do this since it's all virtual anyway. Right. Yeah, we we kind of did the same thing with CES, um, even though you know booths were technically open around the clock. We did all of our coverage based on on Vegas time, so, so that at least it felt. <laughs> normal <laughs> yeah as close to normal as right. it could be broadcasting from our own studios <laughs> yeah so so there so there you have it it's it's very awkward for me to be to be here for memorial day normally i miss it so yeah true <laughs> well it's it's a good sign it's it's a sign that you know, the industry is kind of setting itself back to normal in, in certain ways. We've got, you know, their virtual trade shows. And, you know, we'll have, I think, one of the things that we learned with Roboticon was that the virtual stuff works pretty well. And so we're actually going to maintain some of that going forward, even though uh, we're going to have uh, our event back at, at the Yingling Center in October. We're still going to have a bunch of virtual content as well for teams that either don't want to or physically can't participate. Because, I mean, we had teams from New York and uh, Oklahoma and I think one from Utah <laughs> during Roboticon last year. And that was pretty cool. That, yeah. And they could never have traveled. So I, I, think, I think we'll see some virtual components stick around. But it is nice to see that we're, we've at least got something on the Computex brand this year. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's there's just nothing like being there. I'm sorry, you can do everything you can to have a trade show virtually, but there's the there's still great value in in person, in person events, booths, walking around a show floor, finding things, meeting people for real. Yeah, uh, it just you it, it can't you can't substitute for that. Um, if anything. Uh, if anything, what the pandemic has taught me is while there are some things that you can do virtually, 
the value of in-person. It's made me value in-person uh, contact even more. Mm-hmm. So, um, agreed. Granted, for granted for uh, the working from home perspective, I am gonna when I do have to go back to my office when we reopen our office. I will have some mixed feelings about it because it's been nice not to have a commute and to have my own like personalized space here at home. Um, so, you know, so there's a mix that I have mixed feelings about that, but the, you know, it's, um, it's definitely, um, you know, hoping to get, to get more back, more back to normal. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm looking forward to that kind of stuff too. I can't wait for Roboticon this year. I'm super looking forward to CES. I, it's interesting because like my memory seems to work based on people, which I am learning is unusual. <laughs> uh, I normally, I could almost tell you the episode number, like the order of interviews that were conducted during CES this year, I could barely tell you the names of people. I, like, I can barely tell you the companies that were part of our show. And it's so weird because it's not all that different from a, from a, like, cons- from the viewer's perspective, from, from what our people were seeing. It's not all that different. But I, I don't know. I bet I couldn't tell you two dozen of the interviews that we did out of the hundred or so. Yeah, I mean, I for, forgot a lot of it too. It's just, it's just not as memorable when you, when it's all, when there's just so much sameness mm-hmm. about it. I think is the is the issue right there. Yeah. Well, at least we're gonna get some stuff from Computex. Uh, people should definitely be following yeah. uh, Tom's hardware for stuff uh, throughout the show. Uh, but we've got some news to discuss, and let's get down to it. This week's Nifty Gifties and F5 Live is proudly powered by the Microsoft Store. Whether you're looking for a new laptop, a tablet, desperately trying to get an Xbox, uh, games, and a whole lot more, you can get them all from the Microsoft Store. And remember that current students, parents, faculty, and active military can save up to 10% on almost everything. And to browse the products and learn more about the discounts, you can go to f5live.tv slash Microsoft. Um, in the past, we have discussed some of Google's interesting, uh, brand philosophies. And one has seemed to be, if one of something is good, three is better. Uh, if you need an example of it, check out their messaging strategy that even we could not begin to explain to you. Um, but another interesting place where this seems to apply is in operating systems. Uh, everybody knows Android. Most people probably know Chrome OS. Um, and soon people will be introduced to Fuchsia, uh, which is an operating system that's been under development for a very long time. It seems, um, operating systems are not easy. So a long development cycle is not a surprise. Um, but we've been talking about it on the show off and on dating back to, I think, 2016. Um, And in 2018, uh, they talked about it possibly 
eventually replacing Android. Well, this week, the first actual release of Fuchsia Into the Wild uh, has started to happen for uh, 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 Google Beta Partners on the original Google Nest Hub uh, with other devices to come. For those who have the device and are getting the update, visually and operationally, theoretically, nothing should change. You shouldn't, you almost shouldn't notice a difference unless you're like me and notice that something has moved three pixels. Uh, but most people shouldn't notice a difference right now. Um, but the, the idea is that they built this from the kernel up. It's not Android. It's not Linux. It's, it is its own thing basically from file new project, uh, which is, which is a, um, an ambitious thing to do, but uh, they say that it's significantly faster uh, on IoT devices, which is where they want to start. Uh, it, it's an interesting move. What do you think, Abram? So I, I think the question is, what is going to be the actual benefit to the user in this? If the UI isn't changing, is is anybody going to know the difference? So I've been reading about Fuchsia, and it seems that one thing that's interesting about Fuchsia is it is not Linux. Yep. It is not a based on Linux. And when you dig into it, a lot of operating systems are based on Linux. Like Android at its core is based on Linux. Yep. So it uses the Linux kernel, how, and that's the, that's the big thing with Fuchsia yeah. is that it is. It is from line one. It the kernel, the kernel, and everything is entirely done by Google. Yes. So, um, I don't know if that would give me confidence. I think I'd rather have something that was <laughs> part of the Linux project because that's you know been maintained by a very um, open group uh -huh. uh, in in Linux. But and there's uh, been a lot of work done on it over a long period of time. Yes, yes. I, mean, I think the fact that Linux is so ubiquitous is what should build confidence in it. So, I mean, I think, I think what we're learning now is it used to be, thinking about this makes me kind of think about how I've thought about operating systems over the years. It used to be so exciting to hear about a new operating system, like, oh, how's it going to look? Uh -huh. Is it going to have, like, what's the menu structure going to be like? Is it going to be better looking than Windows and Linux and Mac OS? Uh -huh. But I think what we're seeing here is it's not really about the looks because you can theme anything. Mm -hmm. It's about the underlying, the kernel, the underlying code. And I mean, looking at some of the advantages that uh, Google claims for Fuchsia is it's secure. I've not seen an operating system yet that says it's not secure. Yeah. <laughs> right. Now, in fairness... Um, uh, every task in this OS happens within a sandbox, uh, and apps are generally not allowed to make system calls, which is an impressive theory. <laughs> of course, yeah, I mean, you know, the M1 was promised to be this this super secure processor, and this week we find out that there's a whole channel that's easily accessible. So, you know, uh... I mean, the thing is, this is true of all computer security. 
the ultimate security is to not be able to do anything. Sure. The ultimate security is to turn off. The ultimate security is to have an EMP pulse that wipes out all technology, and then you won't have to worry about uh, somebody getting into your email or malware or anything like that. But if you want to actually use computers and the way that they're intended to be used, there's some degree of risk because you want programs that can actually do things. Yes. What's a program that doesn't have access to the system? Well, maybe that's a program that can't tell you what your battery life is. Maybe that's a program that can't use your camera. Like how many, if the more you limit what the programs can do, the more you limit functionality. So you can't, you can't have it both ways. If you want ultimate security, then you lose, then you lose functionality and it becomes lame. So you have to live with some degree of risk. Absolutely. Sorry. And we learned, you know, we, you and I learned this in the early days of windows eight, when we were working on, you were working on, uh, the, the battery tester and we were trying to figure out how to get the battery information and because they don't give it because UWP, well, it wasn't UWP at the time. It was, uh, uh, Metro was all like super sandboxy. We weren't even able to get the battery information from the system. So exactly so if you really want i'd rather take the risk and be able to do things with my with my technology so on the other hand it's not really clear where fuchsia is really going to be rolled out it's not going to replace android it's probably not going to replace chrome os so if it's going into a bunch of smart devices i don't think most people will know or care yeah and and that's the thing right over the years the plans for this operating system have been super minute and unbelievably ambitious because in 2018 you know several executives were quoted as as saying that the plan was that it would eventually uh be the unification os and usurp android and chrome os and we said at the time eek (laughs) and right and i don't feel any different about that possibility today uh, than I did then. So, because also, doesn't that just was, make it Tizen, right? That nothing yes. from the past continues to work and people with the watches get mad? Yes, it's like Tizen. Now, to be to be fair to Tizen, some of those Samsung watches are actually pretty good in comparison to the Wear OS watches that, that are run by Google. So, it's not necessarily a bad thing, but... We also don't have a need to unite Chrome OS and Android at this point because Chrome OS can now run Android apps. Mm-hmm. Therefore, it has been united. Not that it's always a wonderful experience, but Chrome right. OS, I mean, and there's another case of a feature creep, right? The whole point of Chrome OS at one and at, its, at the beginning of Chrome OS was, oh, look, we don't let you do anything but use the web browser. And that's so secure. But then... People kept coming along and saying that, like, hey, how do I run a game on this? Hey, how do I run this this offline app? Hey, and I'd like to slowly I'd like to use surely, my Chromebook to record a podcast. Oh, that's probably not going right. to happen. <laughs> slowly but surely, Chrome Chrome OS is becoming more and more, at least with the addition of Android apps, has become more and more like a, more like a regular operating system. Mm-hmm. So again, you can't win. You can give everybody just a browser, but eventually 
if you want to have all the functionality that you need to do different things, you've got to open it up. Yep. Absolutely. So it'll be, it'll be an interesting thing to watch because right now it definitely feels like Tizen and it's got, it's focused in on IOT devices and you know, that's not a, uh, you know, things like, like the, the hub, the nest hub are not, the kind of place where we've seen a ton of developer focus. And so with that, you know, the the transition from operating system to operating system, the chances of losing some sort of functionality are theoretically low and in practice are zero uh, because they've made sure that everything carries over uh, on this particular device. So, you know, it's it's a bit of a better transition than Tizen was, but still, it it so long as they keep if they want to keep it focused on IoT devices and they want to lock down the 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 capabilities on those devices to prevent you know the things that that we've talked about that have always made us uncomfortable with connected devices like smart speakers and things like that. Okay, I I can see where this would fit in, but the idea of an entirely sandboxed experience where every call happens externally and nothing can, you've got to have special access to certain APIs and to be able to make system calls. There's no way it grows outside of these, these niche devices for all the reasons that you said that's so I don't know. It'll be interesting to watch. Uh, we don't know what the future looks like. We do know what the what the short term future looks like. Uh, Google wants to be comfortable with where it is and its performance before they start a wider rollout, uh, and they will be focusing on the IoT connected home type devices, the the Nest hubs and things like that. Um, and then from there, we'll see what happens. But. I don't know. I can't. I can't see their original plans working out. That's that's my current theory. <laughs> this week's Pilch Point with Avram Pilch is proudly powered by PureVPN, the best way to protect your privacy online is with PureVPN. You can hide your online activities, say goodbye to regional restrictions, and improve your streaming quality. Plus, it's available for almost all your devices. And you can get a special price right now by going to pilchpoint.live slash PureVPN. And we're going to talk about a, a story in a little while <laughs> where a VPN would have been wildly helpful. But, <laughs> 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 but for now... Uh, let, let's talk about cryptocurrency, Abram. Yes. So crypto is everywhere these days. And I'm sure people are very familiar with Bitcoin and possibly Ethereum, which seems to be the number two to Bitcoin. Maybe they've heard about Dogecoin because Dogecoin has been touted by Elon Musk a lot. But there's a new game in town. It is called ChiaCoin. And ChiaCoin is interesting because ChiaCoin works differently than any other cryptocurrency. Now, before I go any, any farther with this, I want to say 
any any kind of involvement with crypto is inherently very risky. I do not endorse you spending money on this. Uh, some folks will, but uh, I want to just you know let people know what Chia is because it's interesting technically and it's going to have an interesting effect on the market, but it's not necessarily a good investment of your time and money. Uh, that's for you to, to figure out. So Chia is different in that most cryptocurrency or pretty much I think all other cryptocurrency uses some, a concept called proof of work. In other words, you have your computer or farm of computers working really hard and then uh, doing calculations and then you mine a coin and that coin is, is worth money. Uh, and it could take you hours or days or, or more to mine a coin. And the question of always is, of course, are you spending more on electricity and hardware to mine that coin than the coin is actually worth? So are you profiting? Um, and of course, in the, uh, in, the, in the Bitcoin realm, they actually have computers that are not even PCs that are made just to mine Bitcoin. Uh, but in Ethereum and, and Dogecoin and those, it's graphics cards that are doing the hard work. So that's why there's such shortages of graphics cards. Not only do people want them for gaming, but even old graphics cards, even some of the slower graphics cards have exploded in value because people, are, because professional miners are buying them. Now, Chia works differently. Chia uses proof of space and time. So what it does is it uses storage. You don't need a graphics card at all for to farm Chia. You don't say mine Chia, you say farm Chia. And what here's how it works. So you set up your computer to create something called Chia plots. Think of it almost like a real farm. You've got plots where you're planting your seeds. And it could take it is primarily a CPU memory and storage intensive process. It can take six, seven hours to or more to create a single plot. And most of the serious uh, Chia people are creating multiple plots at the same time. So it takes more than six or seven hours, but it still works out that if they're creating like 10 plots at a time, uh, they will. Um, it will be in their favor to be doing that many. So what happens? So you create your plots and then you leave the plots on storage and the plots don't have to be left on the same drive they were created on. In fact, what most people do is they create the plots on a PC with a fast SSD and then they copy them over to hard drives and sometimes it's external hard drives that they plug into a Raspberry Pi to keep those plots online. Because once the plots are created, they just have to stay online. And they, doesn't, they don't need a lot of processing power to stay online. So what happens when they're online? Every few seconds throughout the day, somebody there's a Chia transaction taking place. And every transaction, it picks out it randomly picks a plot. And if one of your plots is chosen, you get some Chia coin. So now what happens if your plots are not chosen? You get nothing. 
Um, so the people who are doing this are doing it based on kind of a law of averages. If I have enough plots, if I have hundreds or thousands of plots, I, you know, my plots are going to come up, are going to, you know, get chosen every so often and, and it's going to work out for me. Now, one thing to know is that just because a plot has been chosen doesn't mean you should erase it because it can be chosen again. So the goal is to just keep building more and more and more and more plots and then leave them connected to the internet on a hard drive or really lower, more bulk type of storage, a hard drive, not necessarily an SSD, and you know, wait for them to be chosen so you can collect some collect some chia coin. Right now, a chia coin is worth $784. Now the problem is this is getting more popular. So where your odds were so-so two or three weeks ago, now the odds of an individual with just a few plots, just a few terabytes worth of plots. Oh, one plot is 102, about 108 gigabytes, right? So if you're getting like a five terabyte hard drive, maybe it'll be 48, maybe around 48 plots you can store on there. So you've got to figure, okay, how many plots do I need to keep to keep coming up and winning on a regular basis? The odds aren't great, but they are next week or the week after going to start a pooling system as exists right now for Bitcoin and other and Ethereum and others where everywhere there will be pools and you can join in with hundreds or thousands of other people who only have a few plots and you know each and will basically share in the earnings. So that's that's the that's the gist of, of what Chia Coin is. The company that the Chia Foundation that is behind it uh, touts the green, uh, the environmental friendliness of this currency because the it is a, a low power currency compared to something like Ethereum because once you have plot built the plots, they don't your hard drive sitting at idle and can be connected to a low power computer like a Raspberry Pi. So therefore it's not using a, nearly as much electricity as something where you're constantly uh, operating a computer at, you know, full, full bore with all of the, you know, the CPU or the GPU uh, operating at the highest possible wattage. That's fascinating i so i guess uh a couple of questions on it the first is obviously the machines that are holding the the plots have to be internet connected is there is there software that's running on those yes. computers okay yes 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 so we have an article if anybody actually wants to see how this is done we have a couple of articles on tom's hardware about this we have one called uh how to farm, we have many articles. We have how to farm Chia, how to farm Chia coin. And we actually have an article about how to farm Chia coin specifically with Raspberry Pi. Now, I want to differentiate between plotting and farming. I mean, the whole process you could call farming, but you absolutely do not want, and we haven't even tried to, to, to create a plot on a Raspberry Pi, because that would probably take weeks or days to create one plot. Uh, but once you've created the plot, you copy it over to hard drive. And then it can be on a lower power PC or a Raspberry Pi 
and uh, that does have to be connected to the internet 24 7. Now, what happens if you turn it off one day or your power goes out uh nothing but you just don't have the chance to win during that time got it it's think of it like a bingo game uh you know numbers are getting called and you must if be present to win you leave the room yeah if you leave the room okay you left the room so you don't nobody takes your your chia coins away if if they go offline like once you've won you've won now the fact that you have to quote unquote win i have to admit it makes me a little uneasy like at least if you're bitcoin mining like you know you mine this and you're gonna get something right but assuming you get a block yeah maybe that's the issue too right yeah the maybe, assignment maybe, the assignment of blocks so is the thing that's that's your luck of the draw on on bitcoin. Yeah, okay so i guess so i guess you can't you can't you can't be guaranteed to win anywhere nevertheless there obviously are, are large companies uh, i mean people forming large farms and mm -hmm. large mining communities whatever for all of these things so there i mean this is a very controversial topic first of all is going where we had now already have graphics card shortages people are worried about ssd shortages yeah. hard drive shortages and they're not wrong what we are seeing is tre tremendous um tremendous price hikes and shortages of four terabyte and larger ssds one and two terabyte not so much because you don't want i mean two terabyte is getting a lot more expensive i guess but nobody wants to nobody wants to do this on on a one terabyte the other thing to keep in mind is though you want to you do want to plot it on an ssd because you need the speed when do it you need fast write speed you need fast sequential write speed to do this but the an average consumer ssd is not a good idea and in fact the chia foundation recommends that people buy, try to buy enterprise server ssds to do it because you have to if you were buying an ssd for chia you want to look at the the tbw of the drive how many what is the total bytes written before the ssd will wear out uh, maybe not everybody knows this but your ssd has a has an expiration after a certain amount of bytes written terabytes written an ssd can no longer the nand flash wears out and you can no longer write to it you could still, I guess, get your data back off and read from it, presumably, but you can no longer write to it. Now, that number is is astronomically high. So for a normal person doing normal stuff, you will probably never, never have that situation. You Most of the time, you're just launching apps, and when you are writing, I mean, we're talking about 500, 1,000 uh, terabytes written. That means... If you had a one terabyte drive, you would have to write over the whole drive a thousand times, right? Entire drive. So very unlikely scenario for a normal person doing normal computer things. But if you are building plots and each plot, like it takes up 108 gigabytes, but the actual space that it takes 
to build the plot in terms of writing and erasing things, I think is more like three or four or more times that. It might even be closer to a terabyte of data that is being written to, uh, during the process. So yeah, it's very easy to, uh, to kill your consumer grade SSD in a matter of, if you were doing a lot of plots in a matter of days or weeks. So, so that's something to consider. Uh, we, we have on our best SSDs page, a list of the best SSDs for Chia. And we're just looking at ones that are readily available consumer SSDs. And we're recommending 1200 TBW for every uh, two terabytes of drive. So a two terabyte drive should be 1200 and a four terabyte drive should be 2400. But even that is, you know, if you just keep, if you just keep churning out plots, you will use up within, within a couple of months, if you're just churning out plots 24 seven, there's an interesting question here, which is at what point are you going to run out of hard drives? Because if you keep like your, your primary storage drive, you're not just, you're not going to fill it up and, and get rid of it. You, what you're going to do is you're going to build a whole lot of plots on it, and then you're going to copy them to, to hard drives, right. Or really inexpensive SSDs. And so how, if you keep building more plots and more and more plots every day, you're going to need to keep buying more hard drives every day or all the time. Right. So you can see that the effect that it's going to have on the storage industry uh, and is already having in the storage industry. So it definitely does uh, have an effect, but probably less so on the kind of sweet spot of one terabyte that a lot of people want to buy one terabyte storage. And people really who are going to get serious about Chia are probably going to look for drives that have really high, uh, really high endurance which right now are primarily enterprise drives, but there have been several companies that have said, hey, we're going to come out with Chia, special Chia drives that are made to do all of these rights. Fascinating. Now, once I've, once I've created my plot, you say I can move it on to a, another drive. And does it, how important is, uh, is speed at that point? So apparently you can use a 5,400 RPM drive. Okay. Um, or even a USB, external USB 3.0 drive. Now, uh, we had John Michael Hans, who is the head of storage for Chia. He goes out and talks to storage vendors on behalf of the Chia Foundation. Nice. And what he said is that there's something like a 30-second, we had him on the Tom's Hardware Show this week, and he said there's something like a 30 second or 40 second uh, period that you have to respond if your plot is chosen. So if your system is super duper slow, like super duper slow, there's a chance you could miss that. But I think they've found it doesn't have to like read back the whole 108 gigabytes in that time period. It just has to send some type of like some small amount of bytes back to say, hey, Amount, I found your, I found some this. amount of ACK. Yeah. Yeah. Some amount of what? ACK acknowledgement. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes. Yeah. So, so some it, sort it of has a, to acknowledge. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So it has to acknowledge. So, so it, could you, 
could you theoretically mount a cheap S3 drive and keep things there? You mean a tape drive? No, no, no. Uh, like an Amazon S3 drive. Um, I don't know. That's an interesting <laughs> question. Is it you? You mean in the cloud? Yeah. Um, I don't know. Because you could you I've, could this... mount a drive letter right to your computer using S3. I wonder if that would be fast. I've never, I've never thought about that. I will. You know what? This is a fascinating question. I will write. I will write him a note and ask him if that works. What What he did tell me is that it's specifically made for hard drives and SSDs, and not other forms of storage. Now we didn't discuss cloud storage because I didn't even think that was reasonably possible. But, I, but I'll ask. <laughs> you know, we asked him about tape. We said, okay. as crazy as that sounds. We said, hey, could you, if you had like a tape backup, could you put it on tape? And that's when he said, no, there wouldn't be enough time to respond and get the data off of the tape to, to uh, meet the requirement. Sure. So. Because I, I would imagine, you know, obviously with tape for those who are, who are younger, who are listening, uh, you know, having to physically spin tape to a certain point to be able to get the bit that you're looking for would be yeah would likely be more than a 40 second gap window yeah. but if you've got a if you've I got mean, a network I... drive that's mounted you know if you've got you know a nas right and... oh oh it oh it will work it will work with nas but he did say there were some issues there's some issues with that they've had to have with like nas vendors or whatever where they've had to Certain NASs have had issues where, but it's supposed to work on the network drive. Okay. So well, yes, it. If you were to mount an S3 as a network drive, it just shows up as the S drive or whatever. It might work. I definitely would love to hear uh, what they have to say about that. I I will I will send him an email after this, and awesome. I will get back to you about that because, you know, we're we are. I mean, when we've written about this, we've gotten a lot of people coming and asking about it. Uh, because people are fascinated by new cryptocurrencies and the way that this one, the way that this one works. Again, I can't, I, I can't say that it's going to be uh, immensely profitable for anyone. Uh, they are going to be starting pools, so that will make it a little bit more palatable for regular folks who don't want to buy a new hard drive every day and just have wall-to-wall -wall hard drives eating up electricity. Uh, for the hopeful possibility that your some of your plots will be chosen, so the you know we'll we'll, we'll see where this goes. But it's interesting that they found a new way uh, to yeah. do crypto. Oh, what an interesting thing! The person who founded this uh, is Bram Cohen, who was the founder of um, uh, he. Bram Cohen is the founder of BitTorrent. So. Well, that's an interesting tie-in with a story a little later. Uh, yes. Interesting. So okay. anyway, uh, if you want to learn more about Chia, uh, come to tomshardware.com because we have a ton of content on Chia coin, including how to farm it uh, and explains all how, how it works. And, uh, you know, we're, we're keeping up with this because it is a big, it is a big story in tech right now. 
Well, it's it's something that I'm interested in, and as our regulars know, I am kind of known for throwing a wrench into the works. Like, can I mount an S3 drive and use this? Uh, so I definitely, uh, I, I'm interested. I can't wait to try and uh, push the envelope on what's possible in the next couple of weeks because now I'm definitely going to give things like that a shot. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. All right. Well, uh, I, as always, Avram, I appreciate the, the topic because, as I said, it's something I've been interested in and I look forward to what we talk about next. This week's Extra Life on F5 Live is proudly powered by Loot Crate. Whether you're a gamer, anime fan, or pop culture aficionado, Loot Crate has got a crate for you. They curate a bundle of collectibles, apparel, figurines, and more that you can't get anywhere else. Crates get delivered to your door. It is like getting an awesome birthday present uh, from a friend every month. And you can learn more about the crates that are available by going to f5live.tv slash lootcrate. Uh, on our last show, we talked about the possibility of Valve getting into the console space. Now, in the past, they had their Steam machines, which, as we said at the time, were a disaster um, for oh so many reasons. Uh, and a couple of weeks ago, Gabe Newell very vaguely... <laughs> confirmed that Valve was working on something uh, console-related. And uh, this week we got some confirmation on kind of what they're up to. They are building... There is a prototype. There's no guarantee that this will ever come to market. But uh, they do intend to talk about it this year. So that's a good sign that it probably will. They are building a Switch-like handheld device without the removable controllers uh, for Steam games. couple interesting things here. The first is that it is a very much <laughs> um, uh, Switch-like, um, right down to kind of the, the placement of, of a number of controls uh, based on what um, a couple of publications have gotten their hands on. Uh it is also basically a full PC. Now, we've seen Switch-like PCs out in the wild, mostly from, from some Chinese vendors, um, but we did see uh, Alienware at CES 2020 showed off a prototype. Concept UFO. Uh-huh. So, I mean, there are other Western companies playing in this space, but we haven't heard Alienware say anything else <laughs> about it since. Uh, whereas yeah. Valve it has a prototype that they're willing to start talking about and confirm when uh, when rumors hit, Valve has confirmed uh, that yes, that is a thing. The My big concern here is, I know, going back to our first topic, 
Uh, this system is Linux-based, and we know that the Linux catalog on Steam is significantly smaller than the Windows catalog on Steam. So it's going to limit what you can play on it hugely. Yeah, so you know what else I was thinking about? Do you remember the Razer Edge Pro? Yes. Uh, so, oh my God. So I was just looking this up to remember when it was, and it was about 2013 that it came out. This was a Windows 8-based uh, tablet, PC tablet, and it had control. You could stick controllers on the sides of it and hold it like this and uh it, it, it like snapped into a thing yes it snapped into a thing and then you had controllers on either side yeah. and this was years before the switch and you could play pc games on it because it had core i7 and nvidia graphics yeah now i'm guessing that it probably got kind of hot uh, and I mean, they didn't, I guess it didn't do very well because they didn't continue, didn't continue it after, after the first version, but it was, uh, it was a nice idea. So now fast forward another eight years, I mean, and we have something that's proven that the concept works. People love the switch. So why not take PC gaming into a switch form factor? I think that's great. The problem, the eternal problem with this is getting the processing power into a device that's small while maintaining good battery life and avoiding burning heat. So, <laughs> and, you know, and loud fans. So it's tough. I guess Nintendo has done it by not having incredible amounts of, of power uh but still you can play some pretty decent games on the switch mm -hmm. so and we're supposed to be hearing could, about yeah. a second generation of it uh likely at yeah uh, so literally uh, within the next switch, couple of weeks switch pro, right? a switch pro right yeah. so but i mean nintendo has always had something else going for it which is nintendo's ip yeah so you know and nintendo's ip is never dependent on having the fastest processor so it's so Nintendo can get away with that. Uh, whereas when you're in the PC space, it is tough. Also, PC, let's keep in mind, PC games weren't made to be pl played handheld. Right. So most, a lot of PC games are very keyboard centric, keyboard and mouse centric. So they're not really made to be played with something like a Joy-Con. So I don't know. I, I mean, I like the idea. I wish them well. In this idea, I it's true Linux uh, Linux has issues, but even if they were even if somebody were to build this to run Windows, and as far as I could tell, I think the Alienware one was to run Windows. Mm -hmm. They they would still have to solve issues with uh, you know with with the heat and performance. Sure. So they obviously need. I think they're probably waiting. I'm going to guess that Alienware and anybody else who wants to do that is probably waiting for Intel's Alder Lake platform to come out because Alder, Alder Lake is supposed to be uh, more like an ARM processor and that it has 
like several cores and it has high power cores and low power cores. And so it seems like they're probably waiting, waiting for that because probably the problem that Razer ran into that a lot of, a lot of companies would run into is we can give you good performance, but you need something bulky mm-hmm. uh, or we can give you something light, but you can't have good performance. Yeah. So it's, it's a balancing act. Sure. I, it'll be interesting to see how they try to tackle the title problem. Um, Cause if, if they're going Linux and it's obviously everything's at a prototype level, any aspect of this is, is up for change. So let's say, you know, uh, Valve and Microsoft, their relationship's been getting a little tighter lately. Um, so let's say that doesn't get better and they do go with Linux. The title issue is going to be a problem for them unless they have, you know, they, they have their, um, I can never remember what it's called, uh, uh, Valerie. With, no, that was Razer's thing. There's, it's a similar name to that. Uh, Proton, uh, Steam Proton, which was the platform to allow uh, Windows games to run in Steam Linux. Um, it's okay, <laughs> but maybe they're also working on a Project X Cloud type thing, right? And if they've got something like that going. You know, maybe yeah, that's maybe true. I mean, work. The, or Steam Link, where you the, can pull it from your PC. Yeah, the form factor doesn't matter as much if you're doing the processing elsewhere. So that's mm-hmm. another another thing to consider here. Yeah, uh, I mean, if they, it would be great if they got more of the games to run natively in Linux, though. I mean, that would be nice. Then, then we might be able to have more people being able to run Linux as their desktop operating system. Uh, which I know is not a huge thing, but you know, then maybe you could start to look at other devices if it could run on ARM Linux, but that maybe that's kind of a pipe dream. Well, it's, it sounds like it might be the beginning of that dream. Again, everything is prototype. There is very little known about where the state, what the state is right now. And by the time they make an announcement, which sounds like it'll be later in the year, uh, obviously things will be firmed up, but Anything can change between now and then, including them deciding, never mind. So, you know, <laughs> it's, it's always the possibility they'll go, eh, more, more work than it's worth. Uh, but I can't imagine with as much information as out right now uh, that that's the case. So we'll probably see later in the year what it looks like. This week's news from the Tubes and F5 Live is proudly powered by Malwarebytes. Whether you use a PC, a Mac, or a mobile device, Malwarebytes Premium is the company's strongest protection ever. It fights threats that traditional antivirus software can't stop. Uh, It actively blocks threats like worms and rogues and dialers and a whole lot more. And you can use your computer uh, and mobile devices with confidence and peace of mind to learn more. And get a special price, you can go to f5live.tv slash malwarebytes. We've been teasing this topic <laughs> most of the night. Um, so something interesting happened. Uh, 
that is reminiscent of the past in a way that uh, a lot of people may not remember. If you were using the internet in the uh, late 90s, early 2000s, in the Napster, Kazaa, LimeWire, dial-up era, uh, you might remember that the Recording Industry Association of America, better known as RIA, used to sue people a lot over uh, pirated content. We used to cover it a lot because they would miss target in weird ways. My favorite will always be the grandmother who did not own a computer that was capable of installing the software she was accused of using. Uh, that will always be my favorite. Um, but it happened a lot. There was a lot of mistargeting. The DMCA was intended to kind of help standardize uh, what copyright protection looked like online, partially in the wake of and partially unrelated to what was happening there. But anybody who's been involved with a DMCA notice knows that it is weird because I don't have to issue a notice on something that I own, which is odd. Uh, people can issue those notices on my behalf, which I don't like. Uh, but um, that's kind of what happened this week. A, a Reddit user posted on Reddit about their experience getting an email from Comcast uh, about a DMCA notice that Comcast received claiming to have been from, oh, I can't remember the name, OPSEC Security, which is an organization that's used specifically for this type of thing. The notice was about a particular hash, and that hash connects to a Linux distribution, specifically an Ubuntu distribution, which is allowed to be distributed in any form. Well, more interestingly, the, uh, the hash involved here is the official distribution from Ubuntu over BitTorrent, which is how we tie back to our Chia conversation. Uh, Ubuntu distributes their operating system via BitTorrent as one of its many opportunities that's where this came from. It was the official distribution that he is being accused of pirating. So what's going on here? Some research from Ars Technica shows that uh, OPSEC security did not issue the request. The email from Comcast was legitimate. So somebody else claiming to be OPSEC security issued this notice, which is completely bogus. Comcast, because they want to maintain their 230 protections, forwarded it on to the user. And the only way for them to handle this is with a counterclaim. A counterclaim requires this individual to produce, provide a lot of identifiable information, name, address, phone number, a whole bunch of stuff, to the original complainant who likely is trying to get him for something else. <laughs> but that sucks that the only way to handle this is with a counterclaim. There's, there's no other process under DMCA to handle this. So what are his choices, Abram? He has to either 
take this hit from Comcast or provide all kinds of identifiable information to who knows who, none of that sounds good so to me. So what is, what is the hit? Like what happens to him if he does nothing? Um, so with Comcast, I think it works similarly to YouTube. I think the first one's not a problem. I think it's the second or third one that becomes a problem. But but if if this or if somebody is trying to get his information to do something they'll else, do it again. then they'll just find another innocuous thing to to hit for it. But the problem is it's a felony, it's a federal offense to falsify a DMCA claim but there's there's no way of proving it because comcast won't get involved in the process because as soon as they do they're they're violating their 230 protection so these two laws are fighting each other in a way that is going to make this poor user's life potentially miserable well, what scares me here is that you the potential to use this to stalk someone uh-huh. or to use this to, you know, to hurt someone like, oh, maybe I just go and file enough false claims on someone and then they get kicked off, then they get kicked off of their, off the internet. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. That's I mean, no, that's a that's serious... no good. And we see this kind of thing on, on YouTube all the time, right? We had a a conversation months ago about uh i don't think it was tesla it was oh it was the other one um with the the semi that had the fake video and and youtubers were doing legitimate commentary they were using the video and they were getting dmca strikes even though they were illegitimate yeah. So DMCA is misused a lot, partially because you know, the law was written way before, you know, home content creation was what it is today. And and partially because, you know, the, the potential for abuse. Anytime, I say this a lot, anytime you create rules, you create a game. In any game, some players are better and some people will ex- exploit... Uh, parts of rules that don't make sense. And that's kind of what's happening here in a way Uh, that's not great. On the other hand, DMCA, uh, to, to, you know, I hate to admit that I was working in the business when DMCA was coming out. Uh, so I actually think there's some good things about DMCA, which is that it creates a safe, a safe Harbor for, for publishers. So, you so if you're running a site like youtube without dm before dmca or without dmca your whole business could be wiped out because if a user put up something that was a copyright violation the copyright holder would have the right to sue the site that it was on so they could say oh youtube i'm suing you because you published this and you violated the copyright well that means anybody who does any kind of user content it becomes liable and it just kills any type of user content social media video upload whatever forums Forums. so uh, it It was definitely so yes all of the dmca's concept was good but it was definitely designed to protect 
websites that were hosting forums. <laughs> and the world's yeah, gotten well, way I mean, more it, complicated and way more interesting since then. Well, I mean, some of the things that you talk about, like, for example, people doing commentary on something, that's fair use. And fair use has always been has always been problematic because it's, it's a defense in court. It's not it's not guaranteed. So I can understand why a publisher like YouTube would say, hey, I, I don't want to I don't want to get into this murky business of deciding what is and isn't fair use because that's really for a, a court to decide or something. But uh, but to the point here, yes, this is being abused. And the problem is that there should be more stringent penalties for people who abuse it. And yeah. there should be there should be ways for the ISP to I don't know, investigate. On the other hand, I my guess is that Comcast doesn't want to get involved. I mean, that's the same thing with taking down some of these YouTube videos. The easiest, the the easiest thing for the provider to do, whether it's a provider of internet or provider of you know video up video hosting or whatever, is to take it away or to punish the individual because that's just they're a big company. And this is just one person. And if that one person is you, you will be really upset, <laughs> legitimately so, because it's an injustice. But if you are, I'm sad to say, if you are somebody like a Comcast, you're probably like, oh, this is one person. Don't, you know, I don't need the trouble. Yeah. Right. Plus, plus they're having to deal with, you know, the, the already murky waters of 230, which they want to be considered right. a publisher under or a, a, right. a platform under and they don't want to get into into dealing with editorial decisions because then they become a publisher right. and they lose their right. protections so i mean for, on comcast side i mean it's it is a super tight tight rope walk that they're up against because of two conflicting weird laws <laughs> coming at them from both directions. And all that does is it leaves it open for these, these scammers. And it's a shame that there's not a better way for a user to be able to deal with it than either just take the hit or, or pass on uh, their information. Because for all we know, this is an organization that's been hired because somebody wants to sue this guy over something and they need his information. You know, all they have yeah. is his IP address because he posted somewhere. They want to sue him and they're trying to use this to get his personal information. I can definitely see, I can see a, a group being formed to, to help people do that. It's sleazy, <laughs> but I can see it happening. Yeah. Because it's almost impossible to do anything back. So. Right. Well, so use a VPN. Yes. That's, that's the message. <laughs> use a VPN. So, so you're, you use a VPN so it obscures your IP. Absolutely. And, you know, we've talked about it for years. Even before PureVPN came on as the, the Pilch Point sponsor, we've talked about using a VPN because... You know, your ISP might be trying to keep tr tabs on you and all kinds of things. So, you know, don't, don't let big tech win. <laughs> Use your VPN. So 
That's that's the big takeaway here. Once again, a VPN would have been a good solution. This week's DRM not included in F5 Live is probably powered by Amazon Prime. In addition to your free shipping, you get a whole bunch of other features like Amazon Prime Music, which gives you several million tracks for free. You get free TV, movies, and documentaries with Amazon Prime Video. You get free video games and a free Twitch subscription every month with Amazon Prime Gaming and a whole lot more. We've got links to all of these features plus a 30-day free trial and the ability to give Prime as a gift all in one place by going to f5live.tv slash prime. So staying on the Amazon topic, <laughs> uh, and particularly Amazon Prime Video, Amazon made a an agreement, a very large agreement, to purchase MGM uh, this week. Now, that is MGM The Studio, not MGM Studios, which is now Disney's Hollywood Studios. Um, this is... The long-running... Not the hotel either. Right, yeah. Not MGM Entertainment or whatever it's called. Uh, yeah, this is the the movie studio and uh, distribution system. $8.45 billion for this. Obviously, Amazon is trying to uh, up its uh, video catalog right? We know that a lot of companies have been trying to get into content. Some have succeeded, some haven't. Uh, Verizon, Yahoo, AOL. Um, but when it comes to Amazon, I think it's a probably a natural fit as uh, they already have distribution, right? They're not trying to buy both content and distribution like Verizon did with, with AOL and, and Yahoo. They have distribution, they have Prime Video, they have IMDb TV. They have two big ways to get content out. Now they're just trying to, to fill their back catalog. And MGM makes sense, right? I mean, MGM has been responsible for uh, things dating back to The Wizard of Oz and The Sound of Music. Um, although, because of a very weird situation involving Ted Turner, a uh, I mean, Amazon doesn't get either of those movies, um, but you know MGM's been around for a long time. They've produced a lot of great content, uh, the Bond films, for example, and uh, this gives Amazon, as other streaming contracts expire, this gives Amazon uh, a ton of content for their platform uh, without having to <laughs> custom create stuff. So does this then put... Uh, make a greater chance of putting Amazon movies into the theater. Ah, so it definitely means that Amazon has has a pathway and a relationship with those theaters uh, because obviously MGM has had relationships with theaters dating back to the beginning of the industry. Um, but so so yes, it's possible that we could see Amazon content show up in theaters more frequently, but. On the other hand, the thing that I see here is the possibility 
of the industry starting to respect the streaming space more. We know that that um, you know some big name people in the industry, including Tom Hanks, who has been very vocal on this topic, don't believe that content created for streaming platforms uh, should be eligible for awards, for example. And so that's why we see these big Netflix releases do limited run releases in a certain number of theaters because they want to be eligible for for awards. Maybe with Amazon's backing, with MGM becoming part of Amazon, maybe the industry will be forced into respecting the streaming space, especially after the last year or so where everybody has had to lean into the streaming space, whether it be HBO Max or Paramount Plus, Disney Plus. Everybody's had to lean into the streaming space to get their their content out. We might be seeing an industry shift. Thinking about this, though, right, I I wonder if and there's probably, you know, who who knows what the Academy is thinking at any given time. And I (laughs) almost never agree with any of their picks. But if you look at the Oscars from this year, like a lot of the things that were nominated that were streaming streaming movies didn't uh, like that you thought they might win, but they did, you know, but they didn't. Um, right. The mm-hmm. best, best picture Nomadland was really, uh, you know, a studio movie mm-hmm. uh, best act, the best actor and best, best actress were, you know, s- studio, studio movies, mm-hmm. not streaming service movies. So even though we saw a lot of nominations, you saw a lot of nominations for things. Yeah. They didn't, um, they didn't fare well. They didn't win. Not too many of them won. Yeah. So, but you know, with, with this pairing with the MGM Amazon pairing, it might, it might start to change things because now, you know, something produced by MGM might come to Amazon prime exclusively. That's a, that's a bit of an industry shift, you know? It's not like, yes. well, this no-name studio has produced a, a one-off film specifically for Amazon Prime. Nope. This is MGM. <laughs> Lion, roar, and all. This is this is MGM coming to Amazon Prime. That, that might change things. I don't know. Do you think this means we'll have an Expanse movie? Huh. Um, but take something from take something from Amazon's catalog and bring it to the theater. Yeah, I doubt it, but it's, it's, it's an interesting um, idea. Yeah, uh, but uh, I mean, what would you say is the biggest sort of prestige movie that Amazon has produced on its own before this merger? Eek. Um, that's kind of hard to say, right? I mean, there are shows that people like, but like yeah. as far as you know. I don't know of any Amazon things that have like Netflix obviously has had quite a few prestige, you know, films and uh, prestige films like the Irishman or Ma Rainey's Black Bottom or, you know, a lot, there've been a, a lot of things that were like Netflix productions that were really, really prestige type of movie movies. But what, you know, what's Amazon's prestige movie? I don't, I don't know. 
yeah, I don't know. Uh, coming to America too? Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess. I guess that's one that could have been in the movie theater. Right? I guess. Uh, you know, when I think about, like, the prestige, the prestige television, I think about The Expanse. Uh, sure. But, and, you know, uh, what? Amazon originals. What was uh Oh Borat is Borat. Yeah. I was thinking Wait, that. Wait, is too. it Borat? Yeah, well Borat was actually nominated, right? It, mm-hmm. it did get some Oscar nominations. Yeah, I think so. But in so, fairness, I think so that one that. was I think that one that one was supposed to be intended for the theater and got sideswiped. But yeah, when it comes to movies. I really don't know. Obviously, I've watched a lot of stuff on there, but for me, Amazon Prime is really good for stand-up, you know? Everything from George Carlin to Kevin Smith. Like, there's there's a lot of stand-up that I watch over there. You know, our our longtime friends at Rift Tracks have a lot of stuff. I, I enjoy a lot of comedy on Amazon Prime Video, but yeah, you know, I I don't tend to watch a lot of movies on it. Well, yeah. some some oh, movies, sound, especially sound like Rift Tracks and stuff, but not not a lot of the originals. And that might be part Ooh. of their problem, right? Because you know, Netflix mm-hmm. has has done such a great job with originals, whether it be movies or TV shows. I mean how often do we talk about things like Stranger Things when we're when we're talking about you know streaming yeah. originals? It's almost ex- it's almost always Netflix that we talk about. There's some exceptions. There's some Hulu stuff that we talk about, but it's mostly Netflix. And you know this might this might help Amazon out in that space to really bring some yeah. knockout prime original video yeah. uh, movies. Yep. Yeah. So. Obviously, we will see with time. Uh, this is an agreement for a purchase. There's red tape galore <laughs> that will have to be cut to get through this uh, regulatory approval and all those things. So there's no telling <laughs> what this will look like, but chances are it will be approved, at least uh, in the U.S. We'll see what some international bodies, the EU in particular, try to do but um my guess is that this this acquisition will take a year or more to to complete so we'll have a little bit of time to to speculate (laughs) well that is our show thank you to those of you who joined us live we always appreciate it if you didn't and would like to in the future sunday nights at 9 p.m eastern you can go to f5live.tv slash join us uh, if you're not able to join us live, that is okay. Plughitslive.com slash subscribe. You can see all the ways to watch, listen, and follow along. We are everywhere. <laughs> and if we're not, if there's a place you want us and we are not, uh, let us know. We will try to be there. Um, as I said at the top of the show, we've got some new content, a ton of new content coming to First Looks. Uh, very excited about that. The Dean Kamen interviews and then the stuff from Lego League, which is all in uh, a VR virtual world, which was so much fun. Seriously, I 
I was worried about it. I was worried that it was going to be cheesy and goofy, and it wasn't. It was so much fun. So, <laughs> uh, I want to spend more time in Verbella. <laughs> but uh, all that stuff is coming over the next couple weeks, so check that out. And uh, next week, I think we're normal. And then the week after, we will be at... I want to make sure I'm right. Yes, next week is the 6th. We're normal on the 13th. We will be at the annual Drew Project uh, fundraiser in Orlando, but we will be streaming some stuff from over there. Uh, we will not have a show per se, but we'll definitely be streaming stuff from over there. Uh, so uh, definitely check that out. Uh, if you are interested in participating in a fundraiser for us, definitely contact. Uh, we're doing a bunch of stuff on Twitch this year. Anyway. With that, on behalf of the staff that's not here, I'm Scott. I'm Abram. And we will see you back next time. Ciao.